Are you in college? The Thomistic Institute Study Abroad Program is now accepting applications for the spring semester of 2024. This unique and exciting study abroad program offers you the opportunity to spend a semester in Rome at the Dominican Order's Pontifical University of St. Thomas Aquinas. You'll study the ancient and medieval intellectual tradition of Rome, live with like-minded young men and women steps from the Colosseum, and participate in weekly cultural and intellectual events, regular day trips, and multi-day excursions. To learn more about this life-changing opportunity, go to thomisticinstitute.org slash Rome. That's thomisticinstitute.org slash Rome. Welcome to the Thomistic Institute podcast. Our mission is to promote the Catholic intellectual tradition in the university, the church, and the wider public square. The lectures on this podcast are organized by university students at Thomistic Institute chapters around the world. To learn more and to attend these events, visit us at ThomisticInstitute.org. Our reading is taken from St. Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we also await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body by the power that enables him also to bring all things into subjection to himself. Let us pray. Almighty God, we thank you for our Savior, Jesus Christ, and that he will change our lowly body to conform with his glorious glorified body. We ask you now to pour forth his Holy Spirit upon us, that we, in the joy of our salvation, may give you praise for the promise that our wounds may be glorified. We make this prayer in Jesus' name, for he lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Our Lady, cause of our joy, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This talk in our Thomistic Institute Intellectual Retreat on the Passion and the Sacred Wounds is titled, Our Glorified Wounds. Earlier, we were thinking about his glorified wounds. And St. Paul says in this letter to the Philippians that he will change our lowly body to conform with his glorified body. Well, what's his glorified body like? His glorified body has glorious wounds, showing us that he bore the cross for our salvation. And so I want us to think about the possibility that every saint in heaven will shine forth glorified wounds, showing how that saint was conformed to the grace of Christ here on this earth. All right, so this is where in terms of thinking about that possibility, but I want to emphasize more basic doctrine at first, because we're going to begin with the riches of reigning with Christ in terms of the victory of our bodily resurrection. There are many confused Christians. Uh, St. Paul encountered them in Corinth. He wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15 to affirm that Christians believe that not only is Jesus risen from the dead bodily, we will be raised from the dead bodily. All right, so this is where, in terms of just going back to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that 
St. Paul knows that there is this denial. He says, but if Christ is preached as raised from the dead, how can some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then empty too is our preaching, empty to your faith. Then we also we are also false witnesses to God because we testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, neither has Christ been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is vain. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are the most pitiable people of all. Do you see how this is high stakes? If you do not accept in faith your bodily resurrection, you are believing in vain. All preaching is in vain. That the, that the resurrection of Jesus Christ doesn't matter. He rose from the dead, so that way we might rise from the dead. Bodily. Bodily. St. Augustine preaches uh, that all sorts of people think that there's a sort of afterlife. Various kinds of philosophies think that the soul lives on. But on this point, Christians have the unique emphasis of a resurrection of the body, which is an absurdity to all sorts of philosophies of the world. So St. Paul was filled with faith in the resurrection, in Christ's resurrection and in our resurrection. Philippians chapter 1, verse 20, My eager expectation and hope is that I shall not be put to shame in any way, but that with all boldness, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. He lived for Christ. And he wanted to magnify Christ, magnify Christ in life and death, right? That same word magnify, you can think about Our Lady's Magnificat, the canticle that the Catholic Church sings every Vespers. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. And what St. Paul is saying is that Christ will be magnified in my body. Christ will be magnified in my body. Now, I don't recommend this, but when you were little, did you ever play with a magnifying glass that, that especially if you were outside <laughs> and there was a nice sun and you thought, oh, there's some paper here or some leaves or something. You know, what can the magnifying glass do out on a bright day? It can set something on fire. All right. So in terms of the light, that energy, that focus, that's what you can do in your life. In your soul, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My soul magnifies the Lord. In your body, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. That right now, Christ, risen from the dead, is like the sun shining in the world. The question is, are you a magnifying glass that can receive that light and then have that focus in your world and set the world ablaze with love? Or would you rather not magnify? Think about how then 
it's that question of what you want your life to do during this life on earth, that then in the resurrection, your body, your soul, your body, your everlasting life will show forth what happened during this life on earth. For St. Paul, he says in Galatians chapter 6, But may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right? His boast during this life on earth is precisely in the cross through which the world has been crucified to me. He doesn't say that the world has been crucified to Christ, to me. Do you see the difference? So, you know, um, so I have been crucified with Christ. This is what St. Paul lives out during his life on earth, the life of grace. For neither does circumcision mean anything, nor uncircumcision, but only a new creation. Peace and mercy be to all who follow this rule and to the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make troubles for me, for I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Okay, so he understands uh, that he has a woundedness because the world has been crucified to, to him. And that then he is imaging Christ. As St. Paul says, be like me, for I imitate Christ. Right now, this is where in terms of just thinking about this and that Jesus is risen from the dead. He calls us to participate in the resurrection now during a life of grace, and on the last day in terms of the bodily glory of the resurrection. The saints then can show us how to live this out now, and then how we can hope for a glorious resurrection as opposed to the resurrection of judgment, because all will be raised from the dead. So it's about going either to the resurrection of life, the resurrection of life, or the resurrection of judgment. March 17th, of course, is the Feast of St. Patrick. And I wanted you to hear from something near the conclusion, or in the conclusion of St. Patrick's Confession. St. Patrick says, If I have ever imitated anything good for the sake of my God whom I love, I ask that he grant me to be able to shed my blood with these converts and captives, even were I to lack a grave for burial, or my dead body were to be miserably torn apart limb from limb by dogs or wild beasts, or were the birds of heaven to devour it. I declare with certainty that if this were to happen, I would have gained both my soul and my body. There is no doubt whatever that we will rise on the appointed day in the brightness of the sun, that is, in the glory of Christ Jesus our Redeemer. We shall be like children of the living God and co-heirs of Christ, and to be fashioned in his image, since it is from him and through him and in him that we are to reign. That's St. Patrick's confession of faith. And notice how it's a bodily confession. He, he doesn't know how he's going to end his life on earth if he is attacked, if, he, uh, if his body is mutilated. What matters is that he will rise from the dead. And notice then, in terms of being fashioned in his image, the image of Christ. And again, what does Christ look like? Okay, so March 17th is the Feast of St. Patrick. March 18th is the commemoration of St. Cyril of Jerusalem, a, a great patron for a catechesis. 
So St. Cyril of Jerusalem lived in the fourth century, and he has many catechetical lectures and mystagogical, mystagogical lectures. In his Catechesis 18, St. Cyril of Jerusalem says, Let us be careful of our bodies and not abuse them as though they were not our own. Let us not say like the heretics that the vesture of the body does not belong to us, but let us be concerned for it as our very own. For we must render an account to God of everything we have done through the body. Do not say, no one sees me, or think that there is no witness of your deeds. For though there is no human witness, he who fashioned us, an infallible witness, remains faithful in heaven and sees what is done. Now, St. Cyril of Jerusalem has a particular way of talking about wounds here, because the word wounds can be said in different ways, and I want you to hear what he says. Moreover, the stains of sin remain in the body. For just as when a wound has pierced the body, and though some healing is applied, the scar remains, so also sin wounds both soul and body, traces of the scars remaining in both, only to be removed by the reception of baptism. So in terms of that, that clarity of the soul given in baptism, how baptism then washes away all wounds of sin. So in terms of washes away in the original sin and any actual sins, St. Cyril of Jerusalem continues, God heals the past wounds of soul and body by baptism. But against future wounds, let us all henceforth secure ourselves and so keep pure the vesture of the body. Let us not by fornication, wantonness, or any other sins of short duration lose the salvation of heaven, that we may inherit the eternal kingdom of God, which may he, by his grace, vouchsafe to all of you. Right, Because uh, in this sense of the woundedness, that St. Cyril is talking about a woundedness of sin, and to be able to keep ourselves from that kind of self-wounding. Okay? Because every sin is a sort of self-wounding that is not a conformity with Christ. Okay, it's just very important to see that difference. And so St. Cyril wants his people to be able to, to, be able to profess the creed. Uh, and, and particularly now we think about the resurrection of the dead. St. Paul says in his second letter to Timothy chapter 4, from now on, the crown of righteousness awaits me, which the Lord, the just judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearance. Every saint in heaven is crowned. Uh, so all the saints have crowns, and they reign with Christ. So in terms of thinking about how in that final deification, that you actually will be able to reign with Jesus and be crowned with him. We meditate on Our Lady's crowning in the fifth glorious mystery, the coronation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Some scholars say that in the development of the mysteries of the rosary, that there were art depictions of the fifth glorious mystery, the last judgment, and in the art depictions of whose judgment would especially be pronounced by artists for the faithful's meditation, Mary. And so gradually then that fifth glorious mystery in the 16th century became set to be the coronation of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So her glorious assumption, the fourth glorious mystery, her coronation, the fifth. But the coronation of Our Lady can be seen and meditated upon within the context of the coronation 
of all saints. Every saint is crowned. Again, St. Paul, From now on the crown of righteousness awaits me, which the Lord, the just judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearance. Every saint gets a crown. Now, there's a tradition in terms of distinguishing the various saints, because the saints, uh, the saints have unique personalities. Uh, the, the saints don't lose their distinctiveness. They actually become, in some sense, more distinctive, and you more readily know. And during this life on earth, we can be confused. Now, who was she? Oh, you know, I, I get her confused with so-and-so, or, you know, those two guys look alike, or, um, you know, it's just another white habit. Um, <laughs> so in heaven, that, um, there's no mistaking persons. There's no mistaking persons. And there's, you, you really come into your own, all right? Well, uh, so in heaven, there's this great individuality in Christ, it's all Christ, okay, all in the body of Christ. But within that, then, how God um, actually accentuates each one of us. And then there are certain common characteristics, so there are different kinds or groupings. And in the tradition, I want first to talk about the aureoles. Okay, so the aureoles are the little golden crowns. And St. Bede the Venerable is credited to be the first one who talks about aureoles. So in his commentary on the tabernacle, reflecting on Exodus chapter 25, and over that crown, another little golden crown, Bede connects this uh, crown with keeping the commandments. But the little golden crown is something that exceeds that. And he says uh, that, that the one receives the little golden crown by willingly choosing the more perfect life and can therefore expect a special reward beyond that of the rest of the faithful in return for a voluntary offering. So for the crown won by all the saints, Bede quotes Christ's words to the rich man of the commandments for those who wish to enter eternal life. For the little golden crown, he quotes Christ's words, if you wish to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. So Bede then applies this to the virgins who follow the Lamb wherever he goes, Revelation chapter 14. Uh, and then he says the English. The, then he says that the little golden crown may also represent the glory of the body and the resurrection that follows upon the glory of the soul. Okay, so he has yet a different meaning for this. Now, in the 13th century, these become systematized, uh, systematized by Saint Bonaventure and Saint Thomas Aquinas and that there are three different kinds of saints that receive these little golden crowns. And so these three different kinds of saints are virgins, martyrs, and doctors. Okay, so in terms of not only every saint gets a big crown, but then you have the little, little golden crowns. And so St. Thomas writes that an aureole, this little golden crown, is an exceptional reward corresponding to an exceptional victory. He then matches three aureoles to the three victories needed by each one of us. Everybody needs victories over the flesh, over the world, and over the devil. The virgin, the martyr, and the doctor show especially outstanding victories. Okay, Remember being victorious with Christ. So a virgin receives an aureole for representing the fullest victory over the flesh. 
and a martyr receives an aureole for representing the fullest victory over the world. In the conflict with the devil, Aquinas continues, the chief victory is to expel the enemy not only from oneself, but also from the hearts of others. How? Aquinas explains, this is done by teaching and preaching, and consequently the third aureole is due to teachers and preachers. So the doctor. Okay, so one who teaches and preaches, then if that is done in charity in terms of that sanctity, would have that special aureole. Okay, now besides all these little uh, little golden crowns, okay, because I want you to think about how there's differentiation. Uh, every risen body uh, has a particular glory shining forth. And so in the scholastic tradition, there are four properties of the risen bodies. Impassibility, subtlety, agility, and clarity. St. Thomas Aquinas says in Book 4 of the Summa Contra Gentiles, This then is clear from the points now made. Just as the soul of man will be elevated to the glory of heavenly spirits to see God in his essence, so also will his body be raised up to the characteristics of heavenly bodies. It will be lightsome, incapable of suffering, without difficulty in labor and movement, and most perfectly formed, perfect, most perfectly perfected by its form. For this reason, the apostle speaks of the bodies of the risen as heavenly, referring not to their nature, but to their glory. Hence, after he had said that there are bodies celestial and bodies terrestrial, he added, one is of the glory of the celestial and another of the terrestrial. Just as, of course, the glory to which the human soul is exalted exceeds the natural power of the heavenly spirits, so does the glory of the risen bodies exceed the natural perfection of the heavenly bodies so as to have a greater lifesomeness, a more stable incapacity for suffering, an easier agility, and a more perfect worthiness of nature. Okay. At night, you go outside and you see the stars. The saints will shine more brightly than the stars. And the scholastics wanted to develop the sense of the glory of the risen body. So in terms of these characteristics, impassibility, that, that the risen body will not suffer. Right? The risen body will not suffer. St. Thomas says in this, the scars of wounds will not be in the saints, nor were they in Christ, insofar as they imply a defect, but as signs of the most steadfast virtue, whereby the saints suffered for the sake of justice and faith, so that this will increase their own and others' joy. All right. So, Thomas believes that the martyrs are going, perhaps, to shine forth in their bodies something of their, their victory in Christ, and so that just as as Jesus, risen from the dead, did not have defects in his glorious wounds, so the saints won't have defects in their glorious wounds. And there's this tradition about the martyrs. And he says that the saints will be of different qualities of impassibility, but they, in their impassibility, will all be able to perceive, such as seeing other heavenly bodies. And this is where, in terms of thinking about seeing another risen body and rejoicing, and that when you see the saints, uh, there'll be a special joy in that. Right? Imagine seeing the Blessed Virgin Mary. Imagine seeing 
your loved ones in heaven. You know, imagine how that will be a part of the heavenly joy of seeing them bodily. And of all bodies, imagine seeing the risen body of our Lord Jesus Christ. Besides impassibility, there's what's called subtlety. The risen body is said to be spiritual in the sense that it will be wholly dominated by the spirit. So there's a sort of of subtle quality that it will have a spiritual aspect. In all these different ways, uh, the sense is that during this life on earth, the body has so much control over the soul. um, In the risen body, the soul has complete dominion and glory over the body. So that the body then is sharing the soul's happiness and glory and the qualities of that soul. Another quality is agility. St. Thomas doesn't want us to think that, uh, that the risen bodies can move, can move uh, uh, in completely instantaneously, but it will seem that quick. Okay, so just in terms of that, there there needs to, he, he he's conscious that there's a different sort of physics at work, is uh, and he he wants to be able to see that there will be a really 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 remarkable agility, okay, but not going from one place to another place just completely instantaneous. And then in terms of clarity, uh, sometimes the word clarity is used for glory. And so that clarity is a greater glory of the soul will be, will be seen in greater glory of the body. The greater glory of the soul will be seen in greater glory of the body. So those who are most outstanding in charity when they die get the best view of God. Okay, so in the beatific vision, uh, it's those who have the most charity see God most clearly. So impassibility, subtlety, agility, clarity. These are different kinds of scholastic ways of thinking about the basic doctrine of the resurrection of the body. Now, I want to propose another property of the risen body, and that is cruciformity. So that you have impassibility, subtlety, agility, clarity, and cruciformity. Not ashamed of the cross I bore. Uh, all in heaven, I think, will in bodily form shine out in victory with how they carried the cross on earth. What's your cross? Every cross is a particular way of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. He says, pick up your cross and follow me. Every cross is primarily interior. Every cross for us is particularly something that goes on in our soul. Can you see uh, who is carrying how, what kind of cross or how heavy a cross? No, you really don't. Now, there are some things that will be, that are made manifest where you think, ah, that's really difficult. Yes. But everybody is fighting a sort of war within Everybody. And it's only on the last day that you will have, with that resurrection of the body, the judgment 
because we can be confused. We can be confused about our own, our own souls. We don't know our own souls as, as clearly as we would like to. Um, and we certainly don't want to judge those around us. So this is where, in terms of every cross, born interiorly in the depths of the soul, has some sort of external ramifications, right? Because you need to, uh, to believe and confess with your lips. To believe and confess with your lips, there's an exterior or external ramification. Every cross puts sin to death. Some crosses may be about your past sin. The other crosses are about having killed temptations or uh, future possible sins. All right, so sometimes people will talk about a cross. Maybe it's about something that, uh, that, uh, that, was a, that was related to a past sin of theirs. Maybe it's related in terms of something of a present temptation or a future possibility of sin. Um, and then to think about how the cross channels Christ's grace that we then are able to be conformed with him. And, uh, and then to, to see that, uh, that in heaven, the cross is worth it. There are so many people who have useless suffering because they don't see the usefulness. What St. John Paul II says in Salvifici Dolores about the gospel of suffering, that Christians, by being united with Christ, can use suffering for glory. The world doesn't understand. But in the Christian faith, if we are carrying a real cross, it's a matter of being yoked with Jesus, of participating in his sacrifice. And then to be able to see that in the resurrected body, there's something of this cross will shine out, I think. Something of your uniqueness about how you were a disciple of Jesus, like no other, will be able to be shining forth bodily. Right now, I was talking with this, about this with a friend of mine who is a recovering alcoholic. And so he got dejected. And he asked, does this mean that in heaven I'm going to have a beer can around my neck? <laughs> uh, it's a serious question. Uh, the thing about it is that the recovering alcoholic if that recovering alcoholic is responsive to grace and then goes to the resurrection of glory, that recovering alcoholic is a saint who will shine forth temperance in a particularly brilliant way. Because that one won the victory. Christ's grace came into that recovering alcoholic's life and then what people will be able to see in some way, I think, will be temperance. The virtue uh, that, that, um, that whatever happened in the past is past. And that people will just be able to praise God. And you'll be able to see the joy. Um, because everybody 
who is in heaven has been marked by the grace of the cross of Christ. And each of us in this life on earth has a particular way uh, of hearing Jesus say, pick up your cross and follow me. That's what I think. I think that, um, that it'll be all beautiful. Uh, during this life on earth, you say, oh, you know, she has long brown hair. Uh, you know, that, uh, uh, he has blue eyes. Uh, I'm overweight. Uh, you know, you, you know, things like this, the bodily characteristics. In heaven, what will really matter about her bodily characteristics? It'll be our soul shining forth in bodily form how Christ's grace was triumphant in our lives. I think that will especially identify each of the saints in heaven. That's what I think. So in terms of, of seeing how it's worth it, picking up your cross every day is worth it. And you won't know how much it's worth until the end. So in terms of some questions that I have for you to think and pray about, can you imagine being risen from the dead? Can you imagine being risen from the dead? Uh, I, I was thinking about this recently in preaching about uh, uh, arise and do not be afraid. At the transfiguration, after the three apostles hear the voice from heaven, they fall down in terror and Jesus goes and touches them and says, Arise and do not be afraid. And it made me think, that's just like the resurrection. That Jesus will touch and say, Arise and do not be afraid. You know, awake, O sleeper, and Christ will give you light. You know, whether or not you can't imagine this, do you believe that you will rise from the dead? Some people's imagination is quite vivid. Other people's not. The question is, do you have faith? Do you believe that you will rise from the dead? How can thinking about your glorified wounds help you consider the beauty of bearing the cross with Christ now? How can the sense of wounds being glorified help you receive Christ in the Holy Eucharist? How can you, in terms of praying the Anima Christi, within your wounds hide me? You know, to be able to enter into the wounds of Christ, within your wounds hide me. You know, to be protected from the evil of this world and to know that in him, risen from the dead, we can find the victory. All right, so... These are some of my thoughts, and now it's time for questions, answers, sharing your thoughts. Yes? So, how should we go about, I'll say, imagining our, our glorified bodies um, whilst avoiding the sin of presumption? Right. Um, because it seems like those things could very easily go together. Good. Thank you. So, the question is, how can we imagine our glorified bodies while avoiding the sin of presumption through the virtue of hope, hope is primarily 
our act given by God through the theological virtue infused in us in the life of grace to be united to God who is good for us and that we then can hope in our resurrection. Okay, you can make an act of hope, which is precisely about our resurrection. Well, what does our resurrection mean? It doesn't just mean that your soul will be with God. It means that you, soul and body, will be with God. That's the act of hope. All right, so you can go back to a traditional act of hope in terms of belief. Yeah, I, I hope in the resurrection of the dead. It's your resurrection. It, uh, so it's like, oh, yes. It, that's the virtue of hope. So, so really to be able to hope, the two sins against hope are, one is presumption, the other is despair. Okay? So um, our hope is in God who wants us to be raised from the dead, who wants us to share in his happiness in the way that he intends. And, and so that's where in terms of if you cannot imagine being in heaven or if, if, you don't have, if you don't make an act of faith with that act of hope of wanting to be in heaven, what's this life about here on earth? So this way, my little exercise about simply trying to imagine something of the resurrection is to assist you about thinking of the very basics of what does it mean to believe? I believe in the resurrection of the dead and life of the world to come. Amen. What does that mean? And then in terms of uh, to make an act of hope, oh, not just I hope tomorrow is better than today. No, no, no. No, I hope to be raised from the dead. And then finally, love. I want to be able to love the Lord my God with my whole heart, soul, body, and strength forever and ever. That's what I want. I want to have that fixity of being completely in love with God. And that in heaven, the saints do this in a way that just simply isn't found here on this earth. And so, do you have that desire? Right? Or do you have other desires? Yes? So, in heaven right now, all are soul, and then it's not until the last judgment that we're soul and body. Okay. So the question is, in terms of heaven right now, soul, and then on last judgment, soul and body. So, backing up, Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, and he is seated at the right hand of the Father, and we know that Our Lady has been assumed into heaven, body and soul. Okay? So in terms of heaven. Souls in heaven, um, so we can now, so uh, uh, there's, there's a particular statement in the early 14th century about the beatific vision, uh, the papal statement is Benedictus Deus, uh, which says that the souls now have an immediate vision of God, okay, uh, and that, that you have that complete enjoyment of God. That's right. Then at the resurrection of the body, that fruition, that enjoyment, then overflows into the body. And this is why we are respectful of the saints' bodies in terms of relics. And frankly, we're respectful, we're meant to be respectful of every human body. Of the saints in particular, because we know that they were temples of the Holy Spirit and that they will rise from the dead. And then in terms of every human body, because all of us are made to the image of God and, and to be able to respect that. 
So this is where, in terms of, again, that difference between, uh, from, an early, from our earlier talk, about the particular judgment and the last judgment. Okay? So in terms of thinking about what's called the intermediate state. Benedict XVI had an encyclical Space Salvi, his encyclical on hope, where he, he talks of, about this. Um, and then how, how uh, yeah, we're not meant to be bodiless. Okay? So we really are meant to be body and soul. Okay? But yes, to be able to think about how saints, you ask for the intercession of saints, because saints are not just simply asleep. In heaven, in heaven, you're very much alive. Very much alive. So this is different from, you know, sometimes people will think of, of, of death as just simply asleep. No, no, no. And then if you then think about, oh, what's the resurrected body like? And then how is that related to our bodiness here on this earth? It can help you, actually, in terms of making acts of faith, hope, and love. It can help you carry your cross, I think. Yes? Um, how do we identify what our cross is? Is it one thing? Is it many? Does it change over our lifetime? So the question is, how can we identify what the cross is? Is it one thing? Is it many? Does it change? It's how Jesus is calling you each day. So in St. Luke's account of the gospel, pick up your cross daily. And follow me. So this is where, in terms of how um, uh, the Book of Lamentations, God's mercies are new every morning. Every morning, those mercies are precisely in terms of being able to carry the cross of Jesus. Um, the Lord asks. The Lord is not just in terms of some generic blob. God is the most loving, intimate Father who knows every single thing that goes on in our life and, um, and who's assisting us, who's holding us in his hand. And how then our cross is precisely being faithful to the grace that Jesus gives. Okay, for my yoke is easy and my burden light. My yoke is easy and my burden light. Because this is where in terms of it's a faithfulness to Jesus and how then... Um, some people uh, are particularly outstanding in particular virtues. St. Catherine of Siena will talk about how, how saints respond to God in particular ways. And so some people, in their faithfulness to Jesus, are able to crush certain sins in, with a particular vigor and then to be able to respond in particular growths of virtue. Okay? And, and you think, you know, she's really prudent. Okay, she she makes good decisions, you know, or or uh, he's very just. Uh, he, uh, he gives what is due, and and you think you know, you know um, she is so hopeful. Okay, uh, he is so loving that that various ways um, people have patterns patterns in this. Um, so in terms of but but every day, God. God allows us to carry the cross. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. Yes? So, you're talking about the crowns of heaven. Uh, I know we're not supposed to have regret in heaven. No, we know we're not supposed to have the... Regret. Regret, yep. But, like, how would that come in if, like, I guess you're, you 
Great. Okay, so the question is, uh, we're not going to have regret in heaven, um, but would you know that you see less clearly than someone, see God less clearly than another? How does that work? Well, this is where in terms of the common good in heaven, that all those in heaven share in God. And this is where in terms of, let's say I had a beautiful rose and I have this rose out here. I'm holding it. Who has the rose? I do. Who's enjoying the rose? We're all enjoying the rose. Okay, that, that's in terms of if I had a rose. But let's say it's you, me, him, her. What do you mean? That in our communion of saints, I'm so happy about you and what you have that your blessing gives joy to my life. My blessing gives joy to your life. And so there's no envy. There's no regret. Everybody, a classic uh, catechetical way of explaining this is everybody's glass is full, but there are different sizes of glasses. The one thing is that we can all drink from the glasses. Okay, so this is where, in terms of the spin on this, is that every, uh, everybody seeing one another in heaven receives joy from who that person is and how blessed that person uh, is by God. And, and so rather than having, oh, you know, it's like some sort of stinginess or, or, or any kind of regret, you know, if I had just sacrificed a little bit more, I, I would, I'd be number 5,320,000, you know, uh, <laughs> as opposed to number 6 billion, you know, no. Um, no, it's, uh, uh, it's a matter of a common joy. And it's different. It's different from our life on earth. But there are different ways of, of explaining it. It's like, oh, okay, now I kind of see. And, and then just in terms of being happy in one another's happiness. Yes? So I guess just to comment on that. So like everyone is just rejoicing in everyone else's happiness. Yeah. And like, I guess like your own happiness is just seeing everyone else happy and being completely and utterly emptied and in love with God. Yeah, so in terms of heaven, that your happiness is precisely in God and that all are united in God in a perfect love of God. Yeah, isn't that wonderful? And so, so this is where in terms of the social dimension of heaven, because our happiness is precisely seeing God face to face Okay, that, that is happiness. But St. Thomas repeatedly is talking about how there's a particular joy in that happiness because of the communion of saints. And that the glory, that each one's glory is, is shining forth something of our common participation in God. And then how, oh, this isn't boring. And, and, and then how that, that the saints um, can be living together forever and ever, all right? Because right now, you know, it's like, come on, when, when do we get the social? You know, I, 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 
I, I want to be able to to socialize with somebody else. I, I want to hear. Um, do you see how this life on earth, right? This life on earth, you you get tired of talking with, or you get tired of hearing someone talk. Um, and okay, I, I want to drink. I want to eat something. I want to. Um, heaven is different from that. And this is where, in terms of trying to imagine. Uh, in faith, what heaven is like. <coughs> Jesus has come back from the dead, and he shows us his glorious wounds. Um, it's, it's meant for us then to be able to think, wow, now is the time of, now is the day of salvation. And I can accept, I can accept who he is. I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of who Jesus is, and I want to be with him now and forever. And that forever will be really, really wonderful. We'll be really, really happy. Yep. So, um, about the um, section on the al- like an alcoholic who becomes a saint. Yep. Is the idea that um, sort of whatever wounds we inflict on ourselves through mortal sin, um, if we are saved and Christ redeems us from them, then the corresponding virtue will shine forth in heaven? So, is the, qu- the question is, in terms of our woundedness that we inflict on ourselves through sin, is it a matter then that the corresponding virtue will particularly shine forth in heaven? I think that in terms of carrying our cross, it is precisely how we received Christ's grace for the need of our life. Okay? And you may not, um, so it may not be a matter of, oh, that person committed mortal sins with alcohol. No, no, no. But, um, uh, because there's a forgetfulness of sin, but there, but I will sing God's mercies forever. I will sing God's mercies forever. And that's where, in terms of singing out God's mercies, say, particularly in terms of the, the virtue of temperance, and it doesn't matter in heaven, it really doesn't matter what happened, because there's a forgetfulness. I will cast behind my back all your sins. And then it's a matter of celebrating uh, how God has saved us. Okay, so there's a sort of, uh, of a forgetfulness. In order to remember, remember God's mercy. Yeah, so that's, that's what I want to emphasize, is, is precisely that, that praise of God's mercy in whatever need, in whatever cross we have now. And it's it's worth it. Yes. Okay. So the description of how when we can join Christ is like co-heirs. Um, that is implying that there is a a kingdom of yes ruling over something. That that dominion I'm kind of missing. Could you could you Okay, so the question is in terms of being co-heirs with Christ, that there's a sort of dominion. Uh, And then what does that mean in terms of being crowned, reigning? Well, first off, there is a reigning over your life. So the moral life, the Christian life, in terms of you think about priest, prophet, and king, someone is especially exercising royal authority when that one has control over life in, in grace. 
Okay, so as opposed to succumbing to one temptation after another, to be able to resist the devil, to be able to say no. Well, in heaven, that, um, that, there's no longer a need to resist because there's the complete acceptance of God for who he is. So then you reign with him. Okay, that um, Christ's enemies have been brought beneath his feet. They've been brought beneath your feet. Okay, so this is where in terms of, of one of my favorite passages from the letter to the Romans. So in terms of Romans chapter 16, the last chapter of Romans, that St. Paul says, uh, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who create dissensions and obstacles in opposition to the teaching that you learned. Avoid them, for such people do not serve our Lord Christ but their own appetites, and by fair and flattering speech they deceive the hearts of the innocent. For while your obedience is known to all, so that I rejoice over you, I want you to be wise as to what is good and simple as to what is evil. Then the God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. Then the God of peace will quickly crush Satan under your feet. Okay, think about who's crushing Satan? God, under your feet. The Blessed Virgin Mary most outstandingly shows this. Think about the images of her crushing Satan or God crushing Satan under her feet, right? Um, so this is where in terms of reigning in heaven, you have crushed Satan. St. Perpetua, when she has her visions, she was this uh, Roman noblewoman in, uh, in North Africa around the year 200. So before she goes to her martyrdom, she has a vision of, of going up to heaven and this ladder with all sorts of swords and, and piercing things. You think about wounds, but um, down below is this dragon. And so what does she do? Her first step is on the dragon's head as she climbs up the ladder and then goes up to heaven to be with the good shepherd. Okay, so this is where in terms of reigning with Christ to have the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is yours. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Think about that. All things are yours. So th that's where in terms of, wow, the beauty of reigning with Christ. All right, so what we'll do now, um, before we go off to the social, um, uh, we will, I, I want you to listen to the book of Revelation chapter 5. Okay, so in terms of a sort of conclusion of our four talks. And to imagine the lamb, the lamb, the one who was led like a lamb to shears and opened not his mouth, and how all in heaven will open their mouths in praise. Okay, because it's by his wounds that we have been healed, and we will praise him. Then I saw standing in the midst of the throne and the four living creatures and the elders a lamb that seemed to have been slain. I looked again and heard the voices of many angels who surrounded the throne of the living creatures and the elders. They were countless in number, and they cried out in a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches, wisdom and strength, honor and glory and blessing. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea, everything in the universe cry out, To the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor, glory and might, forever and ever. The four living creatures answered, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. As it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, or without end. May the peace and blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down on you and remain with you forever. Thank you. Thank you.
Thanks for listening to this lecture on the Thomistic Institute podcast. The generosity of people like you makes this podcast possible. If you enjoy these talks, please consider showing your support at www.thomisticinstitute.org donate. Your donation of even a dollar helps us reach more college students and many others with the powerful truths of the faith, and it ensures that we can keep publishing top-notch lectures on this podcast. Thanks a lot.